is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Daniel chapter 5 King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O oh, king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. This man Daniel, who the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. 
O King, the Most High God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which you cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. This is what these words mean. Mean, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perish, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over his kingdom at the age of 62. Welcome to my garage. I figured the best place to record this would be somewhere where I was comfortable, and the, uh, the guideline says lots of interesting things to look at in the background to make you guys feel comfortable. I don't know if this makes you feel comfortable, but I feel great in here, so here we go. Uh, we've, we've been studying uh, Daniel as a church, looking at how it can um, change our lives, how we can live differently. And Daniel is just an amazing book. Um, it can be summarised in, in chapter 5, verse 21, and last week in chapter 4 verse 17 where the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Daniel's, Daniel's visions and stories always show God as triumphant. The book's literary style at this point here is historical narrative um, and later it goes to apocalyptic stuff so it's, it's an incredible book. It's a great book to study because it's about a godly man who's living in a well, in a very, very um, pagan culture, and he's earning the admiration and respect of his peers. So that sounds a lot like what we're living through at the moment and what Christians often have to deal with. How do I honour God, but also 
How do I gain the admiration and respect of non-believers by the way that I live my life? It's pure Sunday school material, this book, full of miraculous resource um, rescues and humblings of mighty kings. Things that make adult jaws drop, let alone children. Daniel makes loads of predictions and prophecies about how God will divide nations and rule supreme, and we'll see that this morning. By the time we get to this chapter, chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar from last week is long gone. In this chapter he's, he's talked about as, as father, but he's probably more of a descendant, um, I think probably grandfather of Belshazzar here. His successor, um, the, the ruling king, was away um, conquering and enjoying the expansion of Babylon quite a lot at this point. So Belshazzar was the, the kind of elected ruler of Babylon at this point. Belshazzar would have definitely known what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar and his conversion that we learned about last week. He would have known about how Babylon returned to glory when the old king was humbled and responded to God. If you want to hear more about that, do check out um, Graham's preach from last week. It was brilliant about how we can humble ourselves before God and uh, how, how that can change our life. Daniel, at this point, well, he was forgotten. He was hiding away at some point in court. He lived very privately. And he was about 90 years old, we think, at this point. The fact he was forgotten points largely at what they were trying to achieve in Babylon. They were trying to um, build temples, um, put in customs to move the Babylonians away from Yahweh, the god of the Israelites, towards pagan gods gods and materials, and we heard about those as they did their amazing toast um, in the middle of the party. Then at this point, it all kicked off. History points to a man called Cyrus um, besieging Babylon. And the names, the names can be interchangeable, there's a bit of a grey area there, um, but Babylon was definitely besieged at this point. Now Babylon was not a normal city. It was an incredible, amazing place. It's located in modern-day Iraq. You can still go there um, at a beautiful bend in the Euphrates. Um, incredible fertile lands and just really beautiful. It's just awe-inspiring in scale. The pyramid that they had there was roughly the same size as the one in Egypt. Um, so just as big, they had the hanging bar gardens of Babylon. And Saddam Hussein actually thought that he was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, I think he thought that he was reincarnated. So you can see here um, in this map, just that swirly bit there, the, uh, the palace of Saddam Hussein still on that spot there. It had 90 feet thick walls, really, really wide, enough to ride a chariot along. This was partly because of the bricks they used and um, the construction. Um, and Records have it as about 200 to 300 feet tall, these walls. It was big enough as a city to have internal farms, and the Euphrates actually ran through the city. So they calculated, or rather historians have calculated, that they think they could have survived for about 20 years as they were besieged. If you're feeling that confident, you can throw a party. But I don't think that's why Belshazzar threw this party. I think he knew that the end was near. This army that was besieging them was huge. 
So they threw a party. Belshazzar just thought, I'm so secure, but I can see the end. I'm gonna throw this huge party and just show everyone my grandeur and basically try and forget about it. Just when everyone had lost their inhibitions, the ultimate insult was brought upon God. The stolen items from the Temple of Jerusalem were desecrated by use to party, praise and generally worship the gods of these materials. So as they, so they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. The gods of everything that built that city. I've got three things to talk about with this chapter. Three things that I want to bring out of um, what's going on here. And I'll go through it as the chapter progresses and bring those three points to you. The first one I want to share is just don't ignore the signs. There were plenty of signs at this point. Right before this story happens, the Belshazzar was near the end. At the height of the party, thousand people strong. Concubines doing what concubines do. Wine flowing freely from the holiest artifacts of Jerusalem. A hand appears and writes on the wall. Belshazzar has ignored the legacy of his predecessor. The stories of humblings, the enemies that are at the gates, the proper guilt about the, the stuff from Jerusalem. He would have known what he was doing with these artifacts. But this hand, hovering by the lampstand, cannot be ignored. It's in verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I've got to laugh at that last bit. His knees were knocking. Absolute terror. God struck terror on Belshazzar and his lords and it's actually his word that's enough to put the proudest, boldest sinner in a fright. The king's guilty conscience told him that he had no reason to suspect any good news from heaven. God can in a moment take the heart of a really tough, proud sinner and make them tremble. And often, God needs to do no more than just let people think for themselves about what could be wrong. If you think about the conversion of Paul in Acts 9, listen to this. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone who believed the way, Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem and probably kill them. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Sin separates us from the idea that we need anyone else, reinforcing that we are all that matters. In this conversion story, Saul's conscience was immediately triggered. He knew that this light was from heaven, and he actually acknowledges, and you can see in the way it's written, Lord of the capital L, he acknowledges that it's the, the Lord. There are loads of sayings, aren't there, about the writing on the wall. And basically boiled down, it means it's a message that cannot be ignored. It's so obvious you'd be a fool to ignore it. 
as to these sayings using that. Uh, most of us can read the writing on the wall. We just assumed it's addressed to someone else. Some quote I dug up there. Another one. The writing was on the wall for the stock market crash. Can investors read? But my favourite is there's actually a columnist who wrote about Wall Street. He's finished with it now. Um, but you can guess what it's called. That's right. The writing on the wall. The obvious things about the stock market. In other words, to know and understand that Jesus is the Son of God, to know that he died on the cross for us, that is our writing on the wall. Yet to say I'm not bothered, to say I don't care, an old wise preacher that I, I know said, to ignore that, to ignore the cross, is to trample the Son of God underfoot. It's a kick in the teeth for Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 26 says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Belshazzar knew, even before the writing on the wall, who God was, but he had ignored him. Have you been ignoring signs in your life? Things that might be pointing you towards changing your way of living, maybe. Now, I don't know what those signs might be. That's up for you to discern, but is God talking to you? Is he trying to point your way towards a better way of living your life? Don't ignore the signs. But we need people to deliver that message. So point number two, deliver the message. Now, he was really scared of Belshazzar. He had no idea what this said. And as I've discussed, like he knew who God was and things haven't been going very well lately. So he kind of feels that there's some kind of sign here. So he looked around for someone in his court to, um, to just tell him what was going on. And everyone pretty much failed. Well, not pretty much, they did. They failed completely. The queen, though, remembered Daniel. And on hearing that there was a man who could translate what the heavenly hand had written on the wall, Belshazzar did send for Daniel. This is what he said to Daniel. He stood in front of the king, probably a thousand of his guests. This is what he says. The most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. The Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. You praise the God of silver, of gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. It's our duty to deliver the message to the world. Daniel turned down all of the riches and put him in a prominent place in the kingdom that the uh, king offered. He had the faith and the boldness to speak to Belshazzar as a condemned criminal. Just imagine him up there on a pedestal, everyone expecting Daniel to just deliver something amazing and he delivered it all right, as if he was a condemned criminal. We should turn down all gifts all rewards this world can give 
and let's do our duty in the world. Let's do that message the real service that it really, really deserves. It's so important. When Jesus first sent out his disciples to deliver the message, to, to preach the gospel, he said this, as you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Don't accept anything, Jesus is saying. Just deliver it. Have the faith that God will be with you. What sacrifices have you made lately to tell other people about God? If you're saved this morning, that's wonderful. Have you told people about it? You might have to make sacrifices at work. You might get overlooked for the latest social gathering. You might make people feel uncomfortable. Daniel made Belshazzar feel properly uncomfortable and Daniel was not expecting any of the rewards that Belshazzar promised. In fact, he was probably quite scared for his life. How uncomfortable are you in your life because you're sharing this message? The Bible actually promises that, well, not promises, but the Bible tells us that we're to expect hardship when we share this message because for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable to be told this message. I've been talking about it a lot, the message, the writing on the wall. So here's the bit in the preach where we get to find out what it was. Remember, Belshazzar is not expecting anything good. Daniel reads Belshazzar's doom. Belshazzar not taking the warning from the judgments upon Nebuchadnezzar. He had not taken note of the invading armies. At this point, these invading armies had diverted that Euphrates River, so they weren't going to survive 20 years. In fact, it was going to be really, really quick. They dug channels over months, so historians say, to divert that, and they had a clear route into the city. Daniel reads the words on the wall then, and offers the meaning. And as I read it again, I just want you to think about this it applies today. There were three things, and they were, there were units of currency that were ever decreasing. Many, numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, weighed. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, divided. Your kingdom is to be divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Cyrus entered the city. When Belshazzar was slain, just general submission followed. There wasn't a great battle. Those armaments that he put up, the great army that was within that city, they didn't fight. They just accepted their new ruler. And that was the end of that dynasty in Babylon. I said this still applies to us. I'm going to state it bluntly. That first bit, numbered. Everyone's days are numbered. That's something you can't deny. I was getting a haircut after lockdown the other day, and there's a row of shops by us. 
I was chatting to the barber about how, you know, as a barber, you'd always expect to have jobs. You'd always expect to have work. And it was very unexpected for him to, um, to, be, to have to stop. I'm not saying row of shops is the business that will never be out of business, that will never fall on hard times. There's a funeral director at the end. And I was delighted that after COVID, they've pulled down the extension that they had to put up a temporary kind of extension on the back of their shop to just deal with the, the fallout from COVID. And it's true, there's nothing more certain than death. At death, just like Belshazzar, the sinner's days are numbered and finished. After death is judgment, where we'll all be weighed in the balance and we'll all be found wanting. There's no way that any of us can come close to the perfection that a holy God demands. After judgment, the sinner will be divided. And just like the Babylon kingdom, the spoils are just split up. They're given to the devil and his angels. Now, if that was the message, if that's what I was coming to preach today, that would be awful. It really would make you unpopular at work. But God did not leave it like that. And I'm so happy to tell you today that there's a chance for us to be saved. Jesus took our sins on him. He was perfect, but he was separated from God and took all of the judgment. As Christians, our days are still numbered. We'll still die. We'll still be judged on that day. But God will see not just a balanced scale, but a scale that's completely tipped in our favor. We will be welcomed into heaven. All we have to do is learn from Paul and Nebuchadnezzar. And this will be an exact repeat of Graham last week. All we have to do is humble ourselves. The message of the gospel is that if we humble ourselves and trust that Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough to make us right with God, to balance the scales of judgment, then we will be saved. And that's a message worth, worth preaching. That will be one and saved and with God for all eternity. Now I want to sum up this morning, I'm going to go backwards through the points because I've gone through those points as they appear in the, in the passage, but I think it makes more sense if I go backwards now, three, two, one. Point number three then, the message. Just as last week, the message is plain, just as it was on the writing on the wall. It's laid out for us so simply. If we humble ourselves before him, God will save us. But if we don't, he won't. We will be divided just like the kingdom of Babylon. Number two, this simple message is not easy to deliver sometimes, but we must, we need to deliver that message. If you're a Christian this morning, I hope you have a fresh impetus to, to deliver this gospel to your friends and your family first, and then wider, just like we were considering in the... Um, two. We need to deliver the message. Sometimes it will be really hard to deliver, 
we might not get rewarded in earthly terms. But if you're a Christian this morning, I hope that you have fresh impetus to want to deliver it to your friends and your family first, and then wider across all the nations, just as we were considering a few weeks ago. What? Point number one. If you aren't a Christian this morning, please don't ignore the signs. I'm so glad you've heard this this morning. Like I've said, it's as clear as that writing on the wall and that army that went knocking that door down in Babylon. Now is the time for you to be made right before God. Now is the time, this morning or this evening, whenever you're listening, Belshazzar ignored the danger from God and I pray that you won't. If God's talking to you this morning, please respond. There'll be a little button that appears um, on the live broadcasts where it will take you through to talk to someone from church. Talk to someone on our team this morning who will guide you through their relationship with Jesus and talk you through how that you might be able to pray, pray to him that he will save you. As you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up and you will be right with him. I want to pray now as we close. Thank you for being with us this morning. Um, I hope that you can join us next week too. And do remember to check, check out some of the other messages that we've had on the church website. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your wonderful name. Thank you, Lord God, for um, the way that you sustain us and you hold our lives in your hand, just like Belshazzar and Babylon all those years ago. Lord, I pray that we will honour you. Lord, I pray that um, everything we, we do will be glorifying to you, Lord God. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that they will um, talk to someone about it, that they will respond to you, they will humble themselves before you, and you will be Lord of their lives. Thank you, Lord God, that you made a way that we can be right with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.